Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, good evening, everybody. You can open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. Well, tonight, Leviticus chapter 25 is our text, and we'll just read some of the highlights from this. This is the final portions, really, of the revelation given to Moses uh, in the law, uh, this the, the, the section of Leviticus, uh, and it's a unique one indeed. The uh, title here today is, When God Throws a Party, It's a Radical Sabbatical. And um, we find in verse 3 that the Jews were instructed that six years you shall sow your field, six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So God declares a national vacation, a one-year holiday. Now, as Americans, we have difficulty eking out two weeks of vacation, and even in that, we're guilty or answering phones or responding to emails, or we spend more time getting ready and more time decompressing from the vacation. Sometimes you wonder if it's worth it. But God declares a one-year vacation for every six years of work. Now, you've got to like that. When, when God throws a party, it's, it's a major event. Um, on the human scale, we think of great parties as perhaps Mardi Gras. Um, we think of Carnival in, in Rio de Janeiro, uh, the Kentucky Derby when hundreds of thousands flock to Louisville. Nobody sees a horse, uh, but they celebrate the horse race nonetheless because man has hijacked the concept of celebration from God. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from our Father of lights with whom there is no variance, neither shadow of turning. God gave us the concept of celebration of a party. And mankind has made a counterfeit out of that. And if you can remember some of the parties from your youth, they, they were nothing to do with what, what God intended. And so uh, we, we see the, the theme or the, the principle of partying as something that has to do with uh, inebriation and, and wild celebration and losing oneself and uh, wearing a lampshade and uh, dancing with a St. Bernard or something and acting foolishly. That's nothing to do with what, what God intended for mankind to celebrate. He meant it as a, t- as a time of relaxation and restoration. And so uh, not only did he tell them every seventh year to have a whole year off, I want you to move down to to verse 8, and he says every 49 years, I want you to take another year off. So that's called the year we find in verse uh, verse 9, the year of Jubilee. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee, the Jubal, to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, On the Day of Atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Now, the term jubilee is not a real common one in our vernacular, but it was a very important principle that God imposed upon the Jewish nation. And keep in mind, this wasn't an option. Like, if you would like to, I want to give you the possibility of taking a year of Jubilee. 
No. It was something they, they were commanded to do as part of the law. It was to be enforced. And so that was his concept. So imagine how it would be in the calendar. Every sixth year, a year off. That means no work in the field. It was primarily a farming society. So when he said, give the land a rest, it meant everybody rested. So you didn't work for a year, those who were working in the fields. And then every 49th year, not only was that year a Sabbath year, but the next year was a Sabbath year. So now you have a two-year enforced vacation from heaven. But think about what that would mean to your economy. Because actually, you wouldn't sow the seventh year, you wouldn't sow the eighth year, and you would begin to sow the ninth year, you'd have two and a half years without harvest. What a remarkable thing God did. A year of jubilee. And what would you do during that time? Well, you'd have to relate to people. There was also some different levels of activity going on on a a, uh, social and a financial level. They were to go back to their original homesteads that were given to them when they came into the land, so there'd be a reorganization. So it was a financial way of leveling things. God hates oppression. And so he said to them, every 49th year, it's it's kind of like one of the most popular board games of all time is Monopoly. Now, with video games, that's surely changing, but that had been the most popular board game of all time, Monopoly. And God is really saying to mankind through the year of Jubilee, you've been playing Monopoly, put all the pieces back in the box, shuffle the money, and start over. And that is impressing upon us the fact that we take the economy, we take our financial situation far too seriously. God just says, go back to go and start over every 49 years and give everybody a chance to prosper, that not one person or one family or one landholder would be able to oppress the poor. God wants things to be held in common, not communism, but koinoniaism. He wants us to have the opportunity to share equally that there wouldn't be lack and there wouldn't be oppression. So you have to ask yourselves how you would respond to that kind of a command. And we can look at the Jewish history and find that there is no certain record that the year of Jubilee was ever properly celebrated. We don't know that for sure. There's hints about it. The commentators differ. But this we do know, that they did not celebrate the Sabbath year every seven years properly. And for that reason, in fact, later in Leviticus 26, it tells tells us that the land was given its rest in the 70-year captivity. So I'm just thinking that if they didn't celebrate the Sabbath year every seventh year, that when it came to celebrating two years of rest, that they may not have celebrated that as well. And in doing so, listen, they missed out on God's best. They missed out on God's blessing. Here's how I think it went, and I'm speculating. I'm thinking, because if you look down at verse um, 21 in chapter 25, The Lord says, Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth enough produce for three years. In other words, in that 49th year, God would just blow their minds with an abundant crop and give them enough to carry them through that two and a half years till the the planting kicked in. And so the Jewish people, they they come to this year, and all of a sudden the harvest is triple what's normal. They have just an abundant harvest beyond measure. God pours out a blessing they can't even contain for the purpose of what? 
them resting the land and restoring themselves over the next two and a half some years. But I'm thinking that they went, whoa, we are blessed beyond measure. Now, if we put this in our storehouses and then we plant again for the next two years, that'd be wise stewardship. We'd be able to save up plenty. We'd be able to trade more. We'd become prosperous. We'd show our neighbors we're blessed. Let's just do that. Wouldn't, wouldn't God like that? No. That's not what God intended. I'm speculating that's what did happen. Because I think that's human nature. And in doing so, they would have helped bring down judgment upon themselves eventually. But more importantly, they would have missed out with what God had for them. When God wanted to do in his economy something special, they may have missed that. A whole generation may have missed that. The whole nation might have missed that. All the individuals might have missed what God wanted to do relationally and deeply in their hearts and drawing them close and making them a special, peculiar people. So we do know that the Sabbath years weren't observed and Jubilee likewise may not have been. And here's perhaps why. Because it required faith to stop planting, not to go to work, to accept God's blessing that he's going to provide in the next three years, that famine, famine wouldn't come. And so it required a step of faith to accept God's blessing, didn't it? And then financially, it must have been a little bit frightening because uh, there was no added income for, for a number of years. And they had to just trust in the Lord and rely upon him totally. And then socially, as they re- resumed the, the allotment of land, they went back to what was originally there, there'd be some, uh, shall we say, forced family reunions. Um, now, we get through the holidays okay, but it'd be a whole different thing if everybody has to move home. And... Essentially, that's kind of what happened. They had to go back to the original homes of the tribes that God originally gave through Joshua. And so there'd have to be some healings. There'd have to be some reconciliation, perhaps some confrontation. And God wanted that. But if you remember what the first thing that happened here in verse 10, when the jubil trumpet was blown, the ram's horn was blown throughout the land. It was for the purpose of proclaiming liberty. God wants his people to live free. God doesn't want us to live with burdens. And sometimes we carry a lot around relational family burdens that scar us for years. And so by allowing them to go back to their family homestead and and have to interrelate with family, they had to deal with those issues. And we need to deal with issues and not let just geography and chronology separate us from the pain. If we're carrying around those burdens for years and years, God wants to proclaim liberty in your life tonight. We're all natural procrastinators. We put it off. We think because it's not in front of us and that person's moved away and we don't speak to them often, if at all, that somehow time heals all wounds. Not so. God wants to bring you front and center and proclaim liberty from the bondage you may be inflicting upon yourself from that vicious loop. You recall in the, I think it was the second Star Wars movie, uh, Han Solo was fast flash frozen as a statue. I think that's correct. And he was all of a sudden just in that pose, uh, 
like a statue. We do that to people. People who have hurt us, people who have wronged us, offended us, ignored us. We flash freeze them in that pose. And then we, we, we put those statues out in the memorial garden. And for some reason, we, we tend to like to visit that garden. It hurts so much that we go out and visit the pain. Oh, I just can't stop thinking about that. Well, stop going out there. Oh, I just, it just hurts so much. That person hurt me so badly. We continually go back and wander through the memorial garden of all the frozen people in their statue-like poses of just how they hurt us, just what they said. We can recite it chapter and verse and quote what they said and how they said it and the tone and the language and the, the body language they had. And God wants to set you free from that. God wants you to live not as a captive of the past and of your emotions and of things that have, have hurt and harmed you. He wants to proclaim liberty to the captives, emotionally, socially, financially, in all ways. He wants his people to live free. The truth will set you free. We are called to move from freedom to freedom to glory. And the burden of the Lord is light, and his yoke is easy. And so... Here's a question. We see here what God wanted for his people. A vacation, a holiday, a celebration, a a spiritual party, if you will. And the question is what God wanted and what his people were willing to live with. What are we willing to tolerate in the Christian life that is contrary to what God intends for us to be seated in heavenly places with him in this lifetime? And we find a very poor example in the Jewish nation that people were willing to live way below the standard of what God wanted them to experience. And we shouldn't follow that example. So who were the ones who were to enjoy the Jubilee? The Bible says all the inhabitants of the land. The ram's horn was to blow throughout Israel. Everyone was to know it was a year of Jubilee, a special time set apart by God. But it's just as important when the year of Jubilee happened as what happened during that year. And here's why. If you remember the placement here, the 10th day of the 7th month on Yom Kippur. That's when the year of Jubilee happened. And here's why. Because Yom Kippur was the most solemn, high, holy day on the Jewish calendar. The Day of Atonement. When the high priest at one time prepared all day, in fact, for a week before, they kept him in the temple so he couldn't become unclean. And all the ritual things went on with him. And then he took the blood and went into the Holy of Holies, that one man, that one day, one time per year, to intercede on behalf of the sins of the nation. And the year of Jubilee couldn't happen until the atonement had taken place. God does not anticipate you being in right relationship with your family and your friends and your co-workers until you're in right relationship with him. It can't happen. To try to live horizontally in a positive way without having a proper vertical access is impossible. And so we can't declare a year of jubilee until we've experienced a day of chastisement and affliction, which is what the Day of Atonement was meant to be. So until you spent time afflicting yourself for your sin, you can't possibly relate positively with those in your human sphere. Now, Matthew 18 is a classic passage on, on personal hygiene between humans. 
how we should maintain our relationships. And basically, Matthew 18, if I can paraphrase quickly in our time tonight, says to, to us that how can we hold a grudge against a human when we have been forgiven so great a debt by God? If I can distill it even further, I think God says to us, how dare you? How could you? How can you walk around pointing fingers at others when I've forgiven you a debt beyond measure? And so not to release others of their obligation to you when you have had paid in full stamped on your immeasurable debt to God is unthinkable or should be. And so we have to spend time at the atonement before we can hope to declare freedom in our personal relationships, freedom in our finances, freedom in our emotional life, freedom in our thought life, our sexual life. We have to have a right relationship with God or you can't hope to relate positively with those around you. Well, I think God wants everyone around us to know we're living free. That's why they blew the ram's horn. All the inhabitants, those who were from neighboring nations, those who were merchants passing through, all of a sudden this ram's horn is going off and the the Jews are going crazy. It's time for a party. That's what God intended. And he wanted them to know they were a special, unique people, not dependent upon the work of their own hands for their livelihood. It was a statement to be made in the platform of the nation of Israel that, look, we are leasing the land from God. We don't own these things. We borrow them from God. Everything comes from him. What do you have that you've not been given? That was what they wanted to trumpet to everyone around them, that the accompanying nations, the Gentiles might be jealous and say, well, what is it about these Jews? Now, again, unfortunately, they failed to do that. And tonight, two-thirds of every Jew, Jewish person on earth lives under Gentile rule. God never intended that. He wanted them to be, be free and, and live as an example to the whole world. But that's not how it turned out. So we have to get the right perspective. What should happen in this transaction between God and his people? Well, really quickly, repentance happened at the Day of Atonement. Release happened when they realized how greatly they had been forgiven. It's much easier then to give freely to those around you when you have the right perspective. If tonight you are holding bitterness, if tonight you have grudges, if there are those you are at odds with, it's because there's something about God's love you don't understand. And so you're enforcing your relationships humanly uh, in a biased position. You have a poisoned heart, and it's being reflected by the fact you don't understand how much God loves you. You don't know what a great thing he's done for you. You don't know what he expects to do for you in the future. If you did, you would celebrate. Book of Esther said the Jews were to have light and joy and celebration. Does that mark our lives? Again, the world has hijacked the concept of celebration. And as Christians, we too often think of a celebration as simply standing around and eating food. But as believers, we should have something very dynamic to discuss that should propel our parties into a a level of celebration. And here it is. What is God doing in your life? That should be a real conversation starter at every Christian party. What's God showing you? What's he doing with you? 
How's he changing you? How's he challenging you? What are you expecting in 2007? We, the conversation should just roll like from there on, just rejoicing and telling of, of adventures and opportunities and things God has done. And if that doesn't happen, we have to ask ourselves, why could it be we aren't experiencing the New Testament equivalent of a year of Jubilee? So here's what I'm going to do. You can join me if you like. We have freedom in the New Testament. We can declare a time of Jubilee in our life. That if people owe you emotionally, people owe you conversationally, they've ignored you, they've said mean things to you, spoke ill of you, I'm challenging you to release them tonight. Set them free. Because you are a co-captive with them. Matthew 18 says this, until you forgive them, you have put yourself in prison. And you are going to be tormented until you are willing to forgive those that have hurt you. It seems like a paradox, but you see the genius of God in it. He wants to set you free. So by releasing them, you release yourself. Now, you perhaps came into this room tonight expecting a Bible study and not expecting to be challenged to really have your life do a U-turn. And I'm going to ask you as we continue to worship for a while tonight, just to open your heart to God. To experience the worship he intends for us, not just singing songs on a screen, but lifting up holy hands and truly worshiping God. Let him speak to you. And then a few more thoughts and we'll, we'll continue to worship. Yeah, we, we don't want to miss out on God's best. In the time we have left remaining, we should be experiencing a preview of coming attractions. And that's what the year of Jubilee also brought to the table. It was to be a preview of the kingdom. Isaiah 61 says that the Messiah would come to set at liberty the captives. Jesus echoed that in Luke 4. He said, I have come to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord and to set at liberty the captives. He was proclaiming, if you will, a permanent time of jubilee in man's relationship with God. We could experience that kind of joy and celebration. That's why Jesus came. But more than that, he was giving us a window of opportunity to get a sneak preview, a glimmer of the kingdom. Now, what's going to be in heaven? Most notably, God himself. Everything will revolve around him, his throne. Now, don't you think that the Jews kind of let their economy, should have let their economy revolve around the year of Jubilee? Everything was pointing towards that. You'd be thinking about it as you, maybe an average Jew might have, should have had two Jubilees in their lifetime. Say one at 10 years old and one at 60. Well, your whole life would kind of be bracketed by those two huge events when everything was turned upside down. Slaves were set free. Boundaries were changed. Economies were upside down for a while. That's what God wants us to do, to have our life revolve around him, not for it to be a Sunday and Wednesday experience and perhaps some quiet times tossed in. He wants our life to literally orbit around him, looking, pointing towards the kingdom. So God's going to be in heaven. What's not going to be in heaven? Well, no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no death, no pressure, no anxiety, no fear. He wants us to meditate on these things. Imagine what it's going to be like when there are no pressures, when there is no pain, when you're not a slave to your body. 
God wants us to look forward expectantly to that great day. Now, who's going to be in heaven? All those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Only those who take Him as the way, the truth, and the life. So the great question remains then, it's important to ask in any gathering we have, are you going to be in heaven? Are you sure? Do you know that for a fact? Are there any stumbling blocks in your life that are keeping you from accepting Jesus Christ? In a few minutes, we'll resume worship. And then after that, I'm going to come back out here and give you the opportunity to express publicly your faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are believers, if you have things in your life you need to make a statement about to God, to have that opportunity as well to respond to the challenge. I know he's speaking to hearts tonight. Perhaps he's calling some to more intense ministry, to giving more of your life to serving him. You see, because the real reason if the Jews didn't celebrate the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee was greed, personal greed. God gave them that bounty, that blessing before the Jubilee year as a benefit that they might be able to serve him in the coming years. And they took it for commerce because they were greedy. They wanted more. Could it be God has given the American church every conceivable resource we can even imagine, and in some ways we squander it upon ourselves with redundant blessings for the American church when there's a a starving world spiritually desperately in need of the truth that we sometimes take for granted now, don't we? Could that be? Maybe you're being called tonight to a new pasture, and we'll have the opportunity to respond to that. Well, here's a final thought. The year of Jubilee was to be a great time, a window of opportunity, a chance to set aside the daily concerns and enjoy the Lord and enjoy each other. God intended that. We don't want to miss God's blessing. We don't want to be guilty of perhaps limiting his grace in the life of others. One of the worst things we can do to another person is say, they're always like that. They'll never change. They always behave that way. That's just the way they are. What you're doing when you say that is limiting your opportunity to see God's grace in action. Because God's about the business of changing people, of completing the work he has begun. Who are we to limit that work? To say he can't change even the hardest individual? And perhaps they won't change. But the Bible says love believes all things, always believes the best, always hopes that people will come to their highest place in their relationship with God. We ought never be guilty of frustrating God's grace in the lives of his children. Well, I I think of the opportunities that lie before us in the coming year. And you see that God does use mile markers in the life of his children. We just celebrated 25 years here. And it's an artificial anniversary, but it's an important one. And now we're moving into a a new era here at Calvary. And there's a, a great excitement that could be building. Revival could break loose in this community this fellowship, it begins with each of us individually. Um, No one's going to be more excited about the Lord than we should be with our 
voluminous knowledge of his word because we've been given the great responsibility of treasuring the oracles of God. And so what lies ahead for you, I wouldn't want you to limit the Holy One of Israel. Who knows what he might have for you in the coming years? Exciting things. God's willing to use anybody, anybody, a vessel that empties himself and makes himself available to him, he will fill, he will use, and he will amaze the people around you. We're going to take some time and do some more worship now. And before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate. We appreciate, Lord, the great work you have done. Help us to release the burdens that sometimes oppress us. Help us, Lord, to know the freedom that you came to give us. We have a great deal of truth in our heads, Lord. Help that to be conveyed to our hearts and applied to our lives. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Freedom. That's what Jesus came to give us. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Free from fear, free from the past, free from condemnation, because there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Free, free from anxiety over the future. Free from the imposed images of others. Free from the pains and, and that haunt us from the past. And free to be everything God wants you to be. But just like the Jewish nation, they had to set down their work to enjoy what God intended for them. So if you've been struggling and grappling with ways of dealing with habits that are counterproductive, with destructive things you've brought into your own life, you've been wrestling with ways of coping with emotional bondage, Jesus has come to set you free tonight. Free indeed. But you have to accept that. So as we prepare to sing this final song, I want you not to be afraid to be undone. A lot of emphasis on our culture about having it together. And I'm here to say I don't have it together. I wonder why sometimes I don't just spontaneously explode uh, with all the different things going on. Isaiah wasn't afraid to say, I'm before the Lord, and I am not together. I am most undone. And when you come to that point, that's when God begins putting you back together. So as we, as we have a, a final song tonight, I, I, I'm speaking to the Christians here tonight. And if, if you're in need of liberty, if you're in need of freedom, if you've been suffering either self-imposed bondage or bondage from other quarters, I want you to stand to your feet and accept the freedom God has for you tonight. Not as an emotional sign, but as a spiritual step that you're reaching out and taking what God has for you. And he'll take care of the rest. Dear Lord, we are a needy people. And... We are but dust, Lord, and we puff ourselves up to take so much upon us. When you say, cast 
our care is upon you because you care deeply for us. We are a bankrupt people, Lord. We have shipwrecked relationships. We engage in behavior that is so harmful to ourselves. But we have obediently come and presented ourselves before you, these brothers and sisters, Lord, and just cast ourselves upon your mercy and before your grace. And we know we'll not be disappointed because of the fantastic and marvelous promises we find in your word, Lord, that you will not turn us back and give us a a serpent when we ask for bread. Lord, as we agree with these who have come forward, Lord, and those who in their hearts are calling out to you, Lord, and crying out to you, we are broken, but you are the great healer, Lord. We come to you tonight just honestly asking and confessing our sins and our poverty of spirit, Lord, and knowing you're going to fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and you will lavish us, Lord, with your abundant grace and how we need that as a people, Lord. Help us to declare it across this land, Lord, and to sound out the word that you are a God who forgives and a God who gives second chances. Use us, Lord, even though we are just jars of clay. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.